the Holy Spirit has been stirring some thoughts in my heart about prayer, and particularly about prayer in the church meeting. And I feel compelled uh, to share those thoughts with you this morning. And I don't always put a title on my message, but if I had a title on this message, it would be Bringing Prayer Back into the Church. Samuel Chadwick once wrote, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And I have a burning desire in my heart, and I have had for some time, to, to bring more prayer into the church, into the church meetings, into all the church meetings, into, to bring more prayer into all that we do as a church. And if that's just what I want, that, that means nothing. But I believe it is God's heart for his church. Last week, Josh taught through the Lord's Prayer, and I thought one of his most interesting points was how he emphasized that we pray to our Father. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, give us our daily bread. Deliver us from the evil one. It's like Jesus assumed that they would pray together. And we are to pray as a family, as brothers and sisters, presenting our needs to our Father. Jesus said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you, you probably know the story or the context of this. Uh, Jesus entered the temple toward the end of his ministry And instead of finding people praying, he found people selling things, exchanging currencies, making large profits. And Jesus was angry about that. He was so angry that he flipped over tables and drove those moneymakers out of the temple. That's pretty angry when you start turning over tables, throwing people out. His anger was certainly directed at men for using God's house to make a profit. But the thing that fired his anger to the point of flipping tables was that this was going on instead of prayer. About 800 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to the time when Jews and Gentiles would worship God together in one house. And the Lord said, the Lord himself spoke and said through Isaiah the prophet, my house shall be a place where people pray. My house shall be a place where people pray, where prayer is the main element, where prayer is the dominant thing that is going on in my house. Several years ago, uh, Cindy and I were in Newport, Rhode Island on a Sunday and we, we got off our ship and we we walked a couple of miles to a, a church, and we got there about a half hour early for the service, but we went ahead and walked in and, and had a seat. I don't think anybody else was there. I think we were kind of like the only one sitting out there at that time. And the worship team had just finished up their practice, and 
they, they got down on their knees, maybe six or seven of them, and they began fervently asking God to pour out his spirit on the meeting. And I was, I was impressed. I mean, it made a big impact on me. I thought, wow, this church prays. This church prays. These people pray. They're not playing games here. And we're not, we're not going to pray exactly the same way as another church, but it just makes me think if, if a visitor came in, into our church, would they say, wow, this is a church that prays. Wow, real life church is a praying church. People there at real life church, they know how to pray and they do pray. And far more important, I often think if, if Jesus wrote a letter to our church, you know, he sent the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, I often think about if Jesus wrote a letter to real life church, what would he say? And in, in those letters in Revelation, he had things that he commended about each church, and um, for most of the churches, he had things, some things that were pretty seriously wrong that, that, that he had to correct them on. But I often wonder if, if Jesus wrote a letter to this church, what would he say? And would, and would he say, would he commend us for being a house of prayer? And we do pray here, of course, and I'm not trying to like heap guilt upon us or anything, but yet I'm trying to op- open our hearts to say, do we pray as we should? Does, does prayer really permeate our, permeate our, our hearts and our, our fellowship and, and the things that we do as deeply and fully and thoroughly as it should? Too often, I think, we think of prayer as something we do exclusively on our own. And I actually think when the word prayer comes up, we, we probably maybe just go to that as a default position in our, in our thoughts. We immediately think, oh yeah, that's, that's something I do on my own. Maybe, maybe at home and before I go to bed at night or maybe even perhaps in the car. But all, it's always something we think of as doing alone. And Jesus did warn against prayer to be seen, or praying to be seen, or prayer for show. But he never intended that we would only pray in complete privacy all the time. We do need to pray in our closet. We do need to learn to pray in our closet. We do need to go in that secret place and pray. And we probably all need to grow, grow in that. And there's something extremely precious about going into that secret place and praying. And Jesus said, if you pray in secret, your Father will reward you openly. I mean, what powerful motivation. Yes, so we should. We should have that secret place, that private place that we go and pray. But we also need to learn to pray with our kids. We need to learn to pray with our spouse. We need to pray, learn to pray with one another. And we need to learn to pray in church. And I I know fear and self-consciousness keep us from doing this. I I just imagine that even bringing up the topic of praying together or praying out loud or praying with other people even in a small group or in a men's group or a ladies' Bible study or certainly praying in church... Uh, probably just sends uh, tremors or shivers of, of, of fear in some people. I, so I know, I know that fear and self-consciousness keeps us from doing this. 
And we need to be set free of that. We need to be set free of that. And thank God the Holy Spirit can open our hearts and loosen our tongues to pray. And as we taught through the book of Acts, you know, if, if, you, if you think through the events, time and time again when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were, their tongues were loosened to, to pray or to prophesy or to worship. I mean, there's some, Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. And the next thing it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. I mean, there's something about being filled with the Spirit that, that, that overcomes our fears and our inhibitions to, to, to proclaim Christ, certainly, but also to pray and to worship and to pray and to, and to sing. God sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Josh addressed this last week. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons that God sent his spirit into our heart is to, is to make us prayers, <laughs> to make us praying people. He sent his spirit into our hearts with this urging, with this cry in our hearts, Abba, Father, crying out, Dear Father. It's a, it's a work of the spirit. Thank God for that freedom that he brings. But we have to be willing to be vulnerable. There, I mean, there's just, there's just a certain vulnerability in praying. I mean, you're, when you pray, you're expressing some of the deepest thoughts of your heart and deepest feelings of your heart. You're, 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 going, you're talking to God. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that said, I never really know a person until I pray with that person. I mean, there's some tr- truth in that because when you pray with someone, when you pray together as a group, there's just there's a sense that you're hearing deep, deep things from that person crying out to God. And we need to remember that prayer is mainly a cry of our heart. It's not a polished statement. There's no, there's no pretense in prayer. There's no prescribed words There's no formula. It comes from something deep within you, and it goes to something deep within the heart of God. I often think of that phrase from from the Psalms, deep calling out to deep, or deep calling to deep. I mean, that's kind of what prayer is. It's something deep within you calling out to something deep within God. It's it's a way that, that our spirit communicates with the Spirit of God. The church started out praying together in Acts 1, 12 through 14. A little longer passage, but I'm going to read it for you. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. This is right after Jesus ascended and left them. Remember? Jesus left and, and uh, they said this, Jesus will come back in the same way. But after, after he departed from them, it says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So in, in, these, in these days that they were waiting for, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit. It says 
they all constantly prayed together. The women, the men, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers, all this whole group of people constantly joining in prayer together. The, I, I read it out of the NIV, I believe. The ESV says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Luke tells us in Acts 2.42 that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They gathered, they gathered for teaching, they shared life together, they ate together, and they prayed together. Praying together was one of the four basic and continual things that the church did together, what these people did together. And when they experienced persecution, when they experienced problems, when they experienced setbacks and the threats, the threat of being jailed, they got back together and prayed together. In Acts 4.23, on their release, the release of, of Peter and John, they went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, I'm just talking about all the people, when they went back to their own people, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Amazing statement. The whole church got together. Peter and, Peter and James, or excuse me, Peter and John are there, went back to them, they explained the situation. And it says they all joined or they all raised their voices together in prayer to God. It it doesn't say they raised their hearts together in prayer, which I'm sure they did. No, it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It doesn't say that that, that, that all of them prayed silently and one person led them in an audible prayer. No, it says they raised their voices. They all raised their voices together in prayer to God. And I I think if you'd walked into that meeting in the early church, you would have just heard this loud prayer noise, just this loud buzz of hundreds and hundreds of people praying together, calling upon the Lord. And the only way Luke could describe it was they raised their voices together in prayer. And... That kind of earnest, fervent praying together, sadly, is so little known that if we had walked into that meeting, we might say, what kind of weird group is this? I don't want any part of this. I mean, I think if we'd walked into that meeting, just from, from our experience, from our own culture, we walked in there, I think we'd have been, I don't know about this. All these people praying with one voice to God. Acts 13 gives us a glimpse into another early church meeting. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. All right, so here's the church at Antioch, all together. 
in the church there, there were all these incredible teachers. There were people with remarkable gifts of prophecy. The Apostle Paul was there. But these were not the center of the meeting. No, it says they were all worshiping the Lord together. Maybe singing, but I am certain they were worshiping the Lord at least partially in prayer. The, the New American Standard, like the way it translates, says they, they were ministering to the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting. They were worshiping the Lord in prayer and fasting. They were ministering to the Lord, turning their hearts to the Lord, seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting. And the Lord gave someone there a prophetic message, and he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And you know the story. And that's what started the the whole missionary work of Paul and Barnabas. And after this prophetic word came from this season of prayer and worship, it says that they fasted and prayed some more and they laid hands on them and sent them off. I mean, it's like they... It's like, it's like they got sent right out from that meeting. It, was, it, it, it almost sounds like it, what, they didn't wait like three months to send them off. I mean, they had this prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy said, send, send Paul and Barnabas off, and boom. They, sent, they prayed and fasted, and boom, they sent them off right there. But the point is, the point for us this morning, is that the whole meeting, the whole meeting of the church was centered around seeking God. And speaking to God, worshiping God, and hearing from God, receiving direction from God. It was like a whole church worship and prayer meeting. Prayer is is not just another spiritual activity. Prayer is not just an optional spiritual discipline. It is the lifeline of the church. I really believe that. Prayer is the lifeline of the church. It's the way that we get things done as a church. It's it's the way that we move forward as a church. It's the way that we hear from God as a church. And it is the lifeline of your soul. Christ opened, Jesus Christ opened a a new and living way for us to the Father. And we're going to get to that passage in Hebrews, which is a beautiful passage. Christ opened a new and living way for us to the Father. But we utilize and experience that new and living way through prayer. The, the open door to God's throne was bought and paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? The open door to the throne of God was bought and paid for fully by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 18 of that same chapter says, For through him we have access to the Father. Through Jesus Christ we have access to the Father by one spirit. So we, we do not work our way to God through prayer. We do not earn our way into God's presence by prayer. But prayer is the way we come into God's presence. Prayer is the way that we approach God. Prayer is the way that we uh, 
that we experience God, that we commune with God. We, we aren't earning our way to God through prayer. The blood of Jesus did that in full. But prayer is the way that we, that we access that open door. In other words, Christ opened the door. He made this new and living way. He, he paved the road. He opened the door for us to the Father's throne. But, but we experience that. We, we, we use that or we, 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 we uh, come to God th- through prayer. We go through that door. We go to God through prayer. Prayer is the God-appointed way that we fellowship and commune with him, both individually and as a church. It's the way that we know God and experience God. It's the way that we honor God and thank him and praise and worship him. It's also the way that we receive help and grace and mercy from God. It's the way that our hearts are softened and transformed. And it's often in prayer that we hear God speak just what we need to hear. Connecting with with God through prayer is not just the way we open a meeting so that we can get on with the important stuff. Rather, all else that we do, all else that we do in church is... We okay? Okay. Rather, all else that we do in church is preparing us to live a life of prayer and communion with God. All we do in church, everything that goes on, is preparing us to live a life of prayer and communion with God. Church must take us to God. All we do should stir us to live our lives at the throne of grace. And so I don't think, I don't think it should seem strange to us to have extended times of prayer in church. I don't think it should make us uncomfortable to pray for healing, to pray for one another's burdens, to express our love for God in prayer in church. I don't think it should seem strange to us to express praise and worship and reverence and awe for God in prayer in church. And often I feel we need time to pray after the service to express repentance and to hear God speak and and to ask God to seal the things that we've heard you know we've 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 listened we've we've listened to his word we've we've listened to it taught and proclaimed and and so often I think there's things that God wants to do in our lives and those things that we've heard need to be need to be sealed into our minds and hearts and and we need we need time to pray we need time to to deal with God and let him deal with us. So often I feel that at the end of our church services. And I don't think it should be strange or unusual or a problem to have people pray for people in the church service like we did a couple of weeks ago at the end of the service. I mean, Paul told us to pray for one another, 
to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to pray at all times for all the saints. And I don't think all those things were to be done outside the church building. I mean, Paul wasn't saying, you know, pray at all times for all the saints and bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, be devoted to prayer, but, but do it outside of the church, for sure. Don't do that in church. No, he, I think all these things were to be done at least, part, at least in church, at least as part of the way they're to be done, certainly on our, on our own too. I'm not saying that, that we have to do this, but, but just, just let your imagination go with me a little bit here, okay? Just imagine that if you came to Real Life Church, let's, let's say that you walked into Real Life Church one Sunday and you came in just a little bit late. I know, I know nobody ever here does that. You're all on time, okay? But let's say you just came to Real Life Church one Sunday morning just a little bit late, and instead, instead of this buzz of conversation, you heard this buzz of prayer. And what if you walked into the room and you, you found two or three people on their knees praying? And you saw a group of four or five in a circle praying together. Or you saw another two people praying together. One was laying their hands on someone and earnestly praying for that person. Uh, You saw others just worshiping, praying in the Spirit, praising Jesus. Would you say, these are my people? Or would you say, get me out of here? (laughs) And I'll have to admit, for some of my Christian life, I probably would have said, get me out of here. I mean, I just, just didn't like anything that wasn't just totally formatted and that I didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't totally comfortable for me. And I, I understand there are certain, ty- certain kinds of spontaneity or ways of praying that make us uncomfortable. And there's probably ways that I pray that might make you uncomfortable. There's, maybe there's ways that other people pray that might make me uncomfortable. I, I, you know, I get that. And the goal is not just to do unusual things. The goal is not just to do weird things that make people uncomfortable, but somehow we have to bring prayer into the church. Somehow we have to be a house of prayer even if it makes us uncomfortable. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, Paul is giving instructions on worship or instructions for the church meeting to Timothy. And I am not, I'm not going to go through a careful uh, teaching of this whole passage of Scripture. I'm pull, I, I admit right up front I'm pulling certain things from it, okay? Not normally the way I would teach from a passage, but I'm, just, I'm pulling a couple of two or three really important points from this passage. So Paul is giving instructions on worship or uh, for worship or for the church meeting to Timothy. He wrote, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And this is very similar to what Paul urged us to do in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. 
To this end, stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. So Paul said, first of all, or most important of all, I want you to pray. In church, in your worship service, when you get together, I want you to pray. I want there to be prayer. I want prayer to be going on in in the meeting. Uh, He didn't say, first of all, I want you to sing, although we are to sing. He didn't didn't even say, first of all, I want you to teach, although he told Timothy to teach and preach the word. He said, first of all, most important of all, I I urge that there be prayer. I urge that there be prayer and petitions and intercession and thanksgiving going on in your meeting. And specifically, Paul said to pray and intercede for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And the church at the beginning especially, not that it isn't today in many places, but the church at the beginning was constantly facing the danger of disruption and persecution and hindrance and from governing authority. So they especially prayed to God for an atmosphere of peace And Paul goes on, this is good and pleases God our Savior. And I I think in the context it's saying that prayer for leaders which will lead to peace and will lead to the spread of the gospel is good and it pleases God because God desires all people to be saved. But in the larger sense, this statement, it is good and pleases God, applies to when we pray about anything. When we pray, it is good and it pleases God when we pray. And then he moves on or kind of concludes almost with verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere or the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And we've already seen in other passages women praying with the men, and that should happen. But men, but guys we can so easily abdicate the role of praying to women. And I don't know that this is why Paul said this, but I do know that men need special encouragement to pray. I don't know why it is, but men, we need a special admonition to pray. And I love this verse. Therefore, I want the men in every church, I want the men everywhere, To pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Instead of lifting up our voices in anger or disagreement, men, we are to lift up our hands and our voices in prayer. And I think, I think if we opened up the church meeting, I think if we opened up the church meeting for prayer, And if man after man after man in this church began praying, lifting up hands to God, I believe it would start a revival. And I think the women would say, thank God. A faint amen. No. Okay. Well, Pam's not here, I guess. I, I should... I should. Pam's not here, so I should I shouldn't have expected much. Okay, sorry. Okay. Amen. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So 
So why should we do this? I mean, why should we, why should we work, work hard? Why should we work at creating a, a culture, an atmosphere of prayer in, in the church? Or why do we need to bring more prayer into the church? First of all, for the increase of our joy. And I, I'm dead serious about this. Prayer, and especially prayer together, and people praying in the Spirit and pouring out their hearts, man, it, man, it leads to such joy. You know. And look at the verse that Jesus quoted from Isaiah 56, 7. I think probably a lot of us, maybe not everybody, but probably a lot of us have heard Jesus say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's, that's pretty familiar. Probably a lot of us don't know the verse that that's taken from in Isaiah 56, 7. And it says this, I will, the Lord is speaking, I will bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Isn't that beautiful? I will bring people to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This prophecy was given to Isaiah and Isaiah looked forward to a time when Jews and Gentiles, um, when all the nations together with Jews would pray together in God's house. And God says, when you do that, when you pray in my house together, I will give you joy. I will give you great joy in my house of prayer. And so when we, when we pray more together and we learn to, to become vulnerable and pour out our hearts and pray, it we, we, we experience more and more of God's joy together. You know, often at the end of our um, men's meeting on Saturday morning, I usually have the guys hold the hands around the table and, and, and we pray. And more, more and more recently, it, it seems that there's just been more and more guys just will break out in, in prayer as we're, you know, as we're holding hands around that table. And, and uh, to me, to me, that's really the highlight of the meeting. That's, that's, that's the place that God is bringing us to. We, we hear from him, we study his word, and, and then, then we go and we, through prayer we have this direct encounter with God together. And it increases joy. At least, I usually go home pretty happy. I usually go home pretty filled with joy. Uh, and a lot of it's just from praying with these men, holding hands with these men around this table, praying together. And there's joy there's joy in the house when we pray together. And it's, you know, it's going to be true in your, own, in your own families and homes. There's joy in the house when you pray together. There's joy in the church when we pray together. Secondly, it's one of the main ways that we experience communion with God when we gather as a church. And I, I talked about this, so I'm not going to say a whole lot more on it. But we, I mean, we could, we do experience God through worship, sometimes profoundly. I'm, I'm not saying that. And we experience God as the word is being taught. I'm not saying that. But kind of the, kind of the, the, the pinnacle or the, the ultimate in our experiencing God is, is when we come to him and through our hearts and through prayer. And so just if, if we just want to have... God and God's presence more in the meeting, we'll, the, the more we pray together, the more that we'll experience that. 
Third, prayer is one of the main ways that we love each other. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we express love to each other. But I don't know a deeper, more profound, more a, a, a way that is more appreciated than when you pray for someone. It's a way that we communicate love. We show love to one another when we pray for each other. Love turns us into people who pray for each other. And when, when, when we really love someone, we, we lose our sense of fear and self-consciousness and we just become vulnerable and say, hey, I want to pray for you. I see you're hurting. I see you have needs. I see you're crying out. I see you're struggling. I just want to pray for you because I love you. I don't care how awkward it makes me feel. I don't care how uncomfortable this might even look to somebody else. I just want to pray for you. I love you. Love turns us into people who pray for each other. And praying for each other stirs up our love for each other. You know, it's, it's hard to hold on to our murmuring and our complaints against one another when we're praying together and praying for that peop- those, those people. It's hard to hold on to critical spirit and harsh thoughts and anger and resentment toward a brother or sister when you're praying for them and when you're praying with them. And it, it's, true in your own, it's true in your home too. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to hold on to those petty, angry feelings in either in your, in your household or in, in your marriage, uh, your feelings of self-pity and all those things when, when, you, when you pray together and pray for each other. Well, what, what do we do with this? This is, this is the hardest part of this, the message right here. So, okay, it's easy to talk about all these things. So what, what do we do with this? What, I mean, what are we going to do from this? Well, I've just got some practical things that I'm going to lay out before us. And I, I, can't, I can't drive this. I mean, I can't just, I, I can't force something to happen. I mean, this has to be something that, is birthed by the Holy Spirit and birthed in and through our hearts by the work of the Spirit. But I do have these four practical things. Number one, if you ask someone how they're doing and they mention any kind of need, simply say, can I pray for you right now? And just do it. And even if you don't know, even know, know what to say any more than just, Lord, Jesus, help this person. <laughs> That's all you got to do. It just communicates a tremendous amount of love and concern. And whether, whether, whether you're talking to that person on the phone or here in church, before church or after church or some other time, just that readiness to pray for people, for any need that they have, is such, is such a beautiful and a powerful expression of the fellowship that we have in in Christ. Or if you already know someone is hurting in some way, don't even bother to ask them how they're doing. Just simply ask them, hey, can I pray for you? Or if you know someone had some great blessing or good thing happen, say, I am so happy to hear that. Could I praise the Lord together with you? You know, 
Kelsey and my daughter are both expecting babies. I don't know if everybody knows that or not. But, you know, yeah, we, Lord, we bless you for that. We praise you together as a church family. We, we worship you in prayer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone's weeping, if someone is going through something really, really painful and hard, we just say, hey, you know, I, I feel the, the, the pain. I know there's been tears. And, and so we ache with you, and we just want to go to the throne of God for you. We want to, want to pray for you and help you to find grace to help you in your time of need. And you just, you, you launch out. Again, it's an act of vulnerability. It's an act of, it's an act of love. Secondly, second practical thing we do, and this is going to sound kind of redundant, but the second practical thing we need to do is that we need to practice seeking God together. We need to practice at it. We, need, we actually need to, to work at it. Uh, we, we don't give up on, we don't give up on pray, prayer. We don't give up on prayer uh, meetings. We don't give up on praying in our families. We don't give up in praying in our women's Bible study. We don't give up on praying in our men's meeting. We don't give up on praying in church just because it didn't seem to go that well one time. Or just because, you know, we tried to pray and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't see any lightning bolts from heaven. You know, we, we keep at it. We practice it. It's something, something that we devote ourselves to. Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer. It's something that we give ourselves over to. Hey, even if it feels just totally mundane sometime when we pray. Don't say, well, I'm never, never doing that again. No, we practice. We say, well, I'm devoted to pray. I'm committed to prayer. I'm committed to praying together with people. I'm committed to praying for people. Third, um, we want to create an opportunity for prayer after the teaching. And I don't want this to be any kind of formula or like ritual that we have to do the same thing every time. But many times I just sense that, wow, we should, we should be coming forward and, and praying. Maybe the whole church or, or uh, at least having people with needs just, just coming. They, they know there's a place where they can come and get fervent, passionate, earnest, faith-filled prayer for their needs. We want that to happen Sunday after Sunday. And I, I just felt in my heart that, you know, David and Annette are so, such good prayer people. I mean, they just, they, I love to hear them pray. And I just, I talked to David and Annette about, you know, just being willing, being willing at least on most Sundays to be available to come up here and Pray for people. And I'd like to even expand that. There, there's, some, there's, there's others that, that could be a part of that. Um, and really what I thought of is having a prayer and prophecy team. You know, just having people that can, that can come up and pray for you. But it's, often it's during when, when, when prayer is made for people, people that the Holy Spirit gives prophetic words. And at times, God can just give a word that, you know, I'm praying for you. And then it's just like, you know, I think the Lord is just wants this for you. I think the Lord is saying this or this, the Lord has this word for you. And it kind of is so easily coupled with prayer and intercession and fervent prayer for people. So, um, so at the end of the teaching times, if we, if, we, if we have David and Nat come up here or, or others and we invite you to come forward for prayer. We just want you to know that's available. We just want to create a culture where, where prayer is a big part of what we're doing as a church. 
And we just, it's just natural to go to God and seek him in prayer uh, after the service. And then fourth, fourth practical thing we need to do is that, is that we, need, we need to ask the Lord to make us a praying church. You know, the disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. We need to go to the Lord and ask him to make us a praying church. We, we need to ask the Lord to release us from our fears of praying together. We need to ask the Lord to break down those things in our heart, in our minds, maybe from our backgrounds, whatever. We need, some things need to be broken down so that we can be built up to pray together. We need to ask the Lord to release us from our self-consciousness to make us vulnerable and open and free to pour out our hearts to God together. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I think in that context, literally, it means there's freedom to behold the glory of the Lord from, in that verse. But it, it, it's, just a, it's a general principle, too, that where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's freedom to, to, to pray. So, I'd like us to uh, ask the Lord together to make us a praying church.